You're listening to episode 419 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hello, Max. Hey, David. How are we doing? Good. Third time's a charm. This is three weeks in a row. Yeah. We're doing good in 2023. I know. It's, so we'll try to keep up this, <laughs> this trend to get back to our old, reliable selves. Yeah. So we got a... Short week, um, lot, lot of, not a lot of news, but a lot of interesting news we've got. So we've got a robotic wing that measures flapping performance, a Wyoming build outlaw drone flights over prisons, flying drugs into the U.S. with drones, collecting external DNA with an autonomous drone, and an ex-Amazon drone manager sues Amazon. So I guess we should get started. What do you think? Well, let's get started, David. Well, our first two stories, one's from um, Innovation Network and from science.iu.se, uh, is efficiency of flapping drones to be increased with wing folding research. So the birds do it, the bees do it, so why don't the drones do it? They, they do, and uh, this comes from a study by Lund University, a recent study there in Sweden, and they found that birds fly more efficiently by folding their wings during the upstroke, and the thought is that that might have implications for flapping drones. We've seen a few of those over the years, and it might even increase uh, their efficiency, both their propulsive efficiency and their aerodynamic efficiency. So in order to verify this information, they set up a study that um, showed different ways wings could flap. They constructed a robotic wing, and it can flap like birds do, and sort of a circular motion instead of straight up and down. But it can also flap in ways that birds can't. And so they've put this robotic wing in the wind tunnel to take measurements. And basically, they're recording the performance of the wing under kind of different flapping scenarios. Some, as we said, some as, uh, as birds flap and other, uh, other scenarios in kind of unique ways that maybe birds don't uh, naturally do. But they're looking to find out what's the most efficient way for a wing to operate. So uh, birds flap their wings more horizontally when they fly slowly. This requires more energy, but the birds probably do it because it creates more lift and propels themselves. Drones might use this to increase the range of speeds that they fly at. So varying the way the flapping occurs will change the, the varying speed of the uh, UAS. So another example of... <laughs> UAS imitating biology, uh, and uh, we've seen this so, so many times, but it really makes a lot of sense. As we mentioned, there are other examples of, of flapping uh, drone designs, um, some of them simple, some of them quite complex, but it sounds like this research is uh, something that Lund University is going to uh, conduct to uh, help sort of advance the science of flapping. Um, the science of flapping. Yeah, it it is funny, Max. It, it seems like Mother Nature gets it right the first time, and we're all still trying to figure out how 
she got it right and and we're still learning learning from it and we've got a long way to go so we'll soon see if there's going to be flapping drones in our future and there's a quote from uh, Christopher uh, Johansson, who's a biology researcher here, and he said that flapping drones could be used for deliveries, but they would need to be efficient enough to be able to lift the extra weight this entails. How the wings move is of great importance for performance, so this is where our research could come in handy. Yeah, very fascinating. So we'll be watching this. I'm curious to see where this goes. And the quote, Monty Python, what's the lift coefficient of an unladen swallow? <laughs> I don't remember that one. From um, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Ah, They course. talk about the, the unladen, the coconut carrying unladen swallows. So the next one is one of those stories that you, common sense would say you didn't need to do it, but Common sense would also say that you as a state can't regulate the airspace above your state. So this is from CowboysDaily.com. Bill outlawing flying drones over prison soars through Wyoming Senate. So the Wyoming Department of Corrections has just two incidents have occurred in which involves drones in prisons. They were attempts to deliver contraband, in this case tobacco. And we've seen other examples, of course. Uh, we've talked about them where drones were used for other purposes at other prisons, usually to bring in contraband of some sort. But uh, in addition to that, the uh, Wyoming corrections director, he, uh, he's afraid that drones could be used to spy on prisons and identify guards and identify inmates and uh, capture specific uh, details about the facility that may be useful for who knows what purpose, a jailbreak, an attack. could be anything. So uh, apparently the, uh, the state uh, representatives in Wyoming have decided that this is a big problem, and the Senate voted pretty soundly to uh, enact this and uh, makes, make it illegal to, to do a couple of things with drones with respect to prisons. So what does this law or this bill say? Because it hasn't been enacted by the House yet. It's illegal for anyone except law enforcement or others authorized to photograph correctional facilities using an unmanned aircraft. And it's illegal to deliver contraband to anyone confined in a prison. These are common sense laws. And unfortunately, the state of Wyoming can't regulate the airspace above it, whether it's above a prison or not. It's you're you're just enacting a law, so it sounds like you're doing something, even though you can't do something. We keep having these conversations over and over again. Yeah, my question is, do they know that they're enacting or they're attempting to enact something that um, is uh, outside their jurisdiction? I don't know. Maybe maybe they know and they don't care. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't know, but. I, I tried to find the author of this uh, Cowboy State Daily piece because when this sort of thing happens, I know it's for no real purpose, but I, I'll often write uh, the uh, the journalist that, um, that that covered this or if the mayor's quoted or, you know, whoever that I can find to contact and say to them, hey, you know, um, 
you may be trying to do the right thing, but uh, here's why that's not possible in this case, because you know, you're trying to regulate aircraft in the national airspace system, and you're not allowed to do that. But it doesn't matter. Yeah, and I, I believe there's rules already on the books about delivering contraband to anyone confined in a prison. Yeah. If it wasn't illegal, it wouldn't be contraband. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's kind of redundant that you're delivering, yeah, you're illegally delivering contraband. Well, I, I mean, that's a double negative technically, so I guess that means it's okay to. <laughs> you know, it's so uh, it. it Laws for laws say laws for showing that you're doing something. You know there there will be, there's I'm sure better uses of time for the Wyoming Senate and House, I where agree. hopefully the House will have a little bit more common sense um, than the the Wisconsin, the um, Wyoming Senate. So yeah, and if you are a Wyoming resident and you have a perspective on this that's not captured in this article. It's something that you know we should be thinking about when we criticize uh, elected officials in Wyoming. Uh, let us know. Be more than happy to be educated if that's what's uh, required. Yeah, we, we will admit we're wrong on occasion. So, I mean, if we're wrong, we're wrong. But I don't think we're wrong on this one because we keep doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. So we got one for the You Grounded file. We were talking about contraband in the last story, so let's talk about contraband again. This across national lines. It looked like a nice family home. Cops suspected it was a secret drone airport for MDMA drop-offs, and this was from Forbes.com. Um, MDMA is... Three quarters methyl, uh, otherwise known as ecstasy. You want to try saying <laughs> you're that? You're not going to try. <laughs> MDMA, uh, methylene di diox methylene dioxy meta 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 metamorphine meta meta no metamphetamine metamphet. Okay, yeah. You know what? It's bad stuff. It is bad stuff. And if you take all the correct syllables out of that mess that I just said and delete all the incorrect ones. You'll have the proper name for this. But yeah, it's commonly called ecstasy. So this was at a uh, an upstate New York property. Some of the residents noticed that things were a little bit odd up there. Yeah, well, and this was not um, a inexpensive property. It was a $650,000 house in upstate New York, but nobody seemed to live there. You know, it's one of those houses that the lawn sort of overgrown and all of the maintenance isn't there, but people are coming and going with very expensive cars. It's kind of an odd thing. I mean, you, you would think someone with that big of a house and expensive cars would be taking care of the property or at least have somebody take care of the property. So law enforcement caught wind of this, I guess, and they raided the place. Now, uh, they, they brought some equipment with them. The Border Patrol came with a surveillance tool, unspecified, a surveillance tool that could, quote, recognize drone signatures, map their flight plan, and identify starting and stopping points via GPS. So whatever this device was, Border Patrol came with one, and at night, a UAV flew in, landed on the property, and, uh, and then the police came, David. So... The police arrived, and a pilot and two others were taken into custody. 
So, and what was the drone carrying? A package with $110,000 of MDMA as their street value. So, um, I don't know how much that weighs, but clearly, and it was basically coming from uh, Canada into the United States. So, across, across the border, across the Niagara River border between Canada and the United States. So... If that one flight was $110,000 street value, you wonder how much other flights had occurred before they were caught. That's right. So there were people inside, and they a lot of them had excuses and claimed they didn't know what was going on and and you know this and that. So currently, as we're recording this, only one person has been charged, and that was the the alleged drone pilot. Uh, but, you know, who, who knows... Uh, if the others are, are going to uh, skip through this without being charged with something or not. But I don't know. Dave, this reminds me of a house that's actually down the street from where I live. It's It doesn't have the overgrown features, but, you know, you never see anybody, and there's there's always these black BMWs coming and going. And Oh, well, you, you might have a uh, regional drone delivery service there. I'm going to have to go out at night and see and listen for drones, I guess. There you go. Or you need one of those things that the um, Border Patrol has. That's right. So, yeah, it's interesting that that wasn't disclosed what the technology was they were using for the counter UAS. Yeah. Well, you can understand why, right? They may, Maybe they oh, don't want absolutely. to tip their hand. Um, but, uh, yeah, it sounded like something that easily identified uh, what they needed to identify. Who, what, where, when, why, and how, yeah. which is yeah. pretty much everything you need to do for a really nice lawsuit or criminal case. So our next story is another one of those nice, relaxing, gentle drone collects loose DNA from swaying tree branches. I like this one. Yeah, we just sort of breeze through this topic. And this was from s.ch, um, special drone collects environmental DNA from trees. If you want to find out what Animals live in an area, you can observe them, or you can collect DNA. There's a real criminal theme going on tonight. You know that? <laughs> now we're collecting DNA. Yeah, except these little animals, are uh, they're, they're not causing trouble. So this is called external DNA, which is a term I had not heard before. But that can include things like dead skin or feathers, waste products from animals, fluids, things like that. And you could, as you'd imagine, can find this stuff anywhere. It can be in the soil. It can be in the water. It can be on surfaces like rocks or up in the tree branches. And collecting this DNA, well, it can be expensive or, or difficult, especially when you're talking about the DNA that might be up in trees uh, it's uh, uh, kind of a challenge to uh, when you're performing a study to to find someone that you can send up the tree that's not going to hurt themselves and uh, try to collect these samples. So, so what what does that mean? You send in the drones. Exactly, exactly. So uh, there's a number of partners in this. Uh, I guess the principal perhaps is uh, ETH Zurich. Uh, who've uh, done some interesting things with robotics in the past. We think we've talked about them, but also the Swiss Federal Institute for Forest, Snow, and Landscape Research, WSL, is involved. 
And there's an environmental DNA specialist or an eDNA specialist called Spygen, which is a French biotechnology company. Um, I, I see they were created in 2011. They specialize in molecular ecology. So I think they're doing the, the testing. So they've created this, I think, pretty unique drone to go and capture the external DNA. So what does the drone do? Well, it lands on a branch, and adhesive strips collect the sample. The DNA is then flown back and, and, and off of the samples and extracted from the lab. So what's the challenge? Well, you, know, you can imagine that you're trying to get, you're trying to land a quadcopter or a UAV on top of a branch, and you've got varying surfaces that you're landing on, and you don't really want to disturb with your thrust and such, all of the material that you're trying to collect. Right. And yeah, no, no two branches are alike, as you could imagine. Um, sometimes, you know, you land on it and you get some bending and rebounding with the, uh, with the drone landing on them, different sized branches. And the drone needs to be relatively stable while these samples are collected. So those are some of the challenges that they encountered. Uh, but they've uh, performed some testing and have had some success with it. And they've done seven different tree species, and they found DNA from 21 distinct groups of organisms. So that you can imagine, so that's very successful um, for this kind of technology. And the fact that you're recovering this DNA, which is fragile to begin with, and via drone is kind of impressive that the technology has gotten this sophisticated, and I mean the use case makes a lot of sense to me. If you, you know, if you're if you're performing a a study and you want to know what creatures live in an area, it, it could take quite a lot of time to uh, to discover that by traditional manual observational methods. I mean, maybe you can set up cameras and things and see who walks by, but you've also got insects and you know other smaller creatures that may be difficult to to see so it can be quite a challenge to uh, determine what are all the you know the creatures that live in an area so with with this technology you fly the drone out there and touch things with its sticky surfaces to pick up dna samples take it back to the lab and in relatively short order you know what lives there pretty cool we have a video uh, of uh, of this drone, uh, courtesy ETH Zurich. And it doesn't look like any other kind of drone, really, that, that you're familiar with. It's actually kind of difficult for me to see just exactly, you know, what the propulsion methods are. Uh, maybe it is a quadcopter, and maybe there are four rotors behind this, um, you know, this shroud around it. But the the most visible part of this thing is the uh, the bottom surface, that has uh, all these sticky collectors. But look at the video. It's pretty amazing. It's kind of interesting because what I thought of was it's collecting tree data and stuff, but it's got a kind of a flower look to it. It does, it's, yes. it, it's got its nature. The drone is sort of matching the environment it's living in. You know, it's sort of... So I it, definitely look at the video and look at the... It, it's sort of like looks like it belongs doing what it's doing. And that's not often easily said for a UAS or a UAV. I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, I, I hadn't uh, 
really thought of it in that way, but I definitely noticed that uh, the appearance of this thing is is different and unique, and it it doesn't look as out of place as you know you would think otherwise. Uh, sort of a yeah, like a big flower kind of a look to it. Yeah, so so definitely check it out and and send us our our, our yeah send us our thoughts. No, <laughs> send us your thoughts. We we'd like to hear about hear from you. So I was sort of surprised at this. Um, this story comes from the SeattleTimes.com. Ex-Amazon drone manager says he was fired for raising safety concerns. The former manager is suing Amazon in King County Superior Court in Seattle for wrongful termination. He's claiming racial discrimination in promotions, uh, retaliation for raising safety concerns. And it's an interesting thing here. He, he says that the, he noticed a very significant lack of safety protocols in drone testing. He said there were large numbers of crashes. Um, and after he raised this issue, they, they seemed to kind of shut him down, I guess. Uh, he says there were restrictions on employee access to flight information, videos, and pictures. He also, and this is like a completely different category, uh, thought that there was uh, a lack of on-site bathrooms for the, I guess, the team conducting the, uh, the, you know, the study and the experiments and so forth. But this had been um, reported in Bloomberg, in fact, uh, last April in 2022, um, where um, it noted a Bloomberg investigation and they conducted it based on internal documents, government reports and interviews with a number of current and former employees and uh, they they found that Amazon's drone program had a lot of technical challenges. They had very high turnover, many safety concerns, that there was a, a crash that had occurred that even got the attention of federal regulators who were questioning the airworthiness of the Amazon drone um, because of the, the failures, the multiple safety feature failures. So um, it, this has been kind of percolating for a while, but now uh, there, is a, there is a lawsuit. So the claimant is seeking lost earnings, compensation for legal fees, and emotional distress. Um, of course, Amazon is disputing the charges, and they look forward to pro proving that in court. I'm, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where, Max, I was reading this stuff and I was reading this article and all I was thinking of was um, Elon Musk and um, the SpaceX program where they are really prepared to fail at a lot of risk, mm -hmm. you know, and it sounds like um, Amazon was running their drone program that way, but doing it in an iterative way can cause lots of frustration for the employees, lots of, you know, and cause an environment where there's a lot of change and it would probably have a negative, negative outcome or negative attitudes. Yes. I, I've learned not to um, try to uh, assess or, or make uh, too many conclusions too early on in a, in a case like this, because there could be lots of different things at play here. Sometimes when they're uh, 
are suits like this, uh, former employees suing the the employer, the previous employer, sometimes the employee is is completely, um, or their claims are completely legitimate, and the company was not doing something that they should have done, or was doing something they should have shouldn't have done, or something like that. And in other cases, uh, it can be a disgruntled employee, or it can be an employee for which this the fit was not there, you know, with the company. An example of that could be what you're talking about, David, with this um, this uh, kind of uh, more recent in our history strategy of uh, sequential failures in order to get to a uh, you know a, a good result. And it's just really hard to tell at this point what's going on here. Um, but uh, this the, the former manager he claims that uh, you know others um, who were of a, a different color um, had promotional opportunities that that he didn't. Uh, that may or may not be true. Who knows? Uh, if it is true, the reasons for that, um, we don't know. They could be good reasons. They could be bad reasons. Yeah, we just don't know. But the takeaway, I guess, from this is that, yeah, like you said, David, Amazon have had uh, apparently, uh, you know, many, many failures. And whether that's uh, intentional as part of the process or if that's uh, because they have a really poor quality system and their reliability is suffering as a result of that, you know, we just don't know here. This will probably take a long time in the courts before we have any answers to any of those questions, and we probably won't get answers to all of them. Yeah, and I mean, look at look at how long we've been dealing with the Boeing issues, you know? So it's one of those things that... You don't know, um, and usually this stuff comes out in dribs and drabs. But you know, it's it does affect the industry, and it'll be interesting to see what what does come of it. So, well, I'm sure we'll be talking about this more in the future. Yeah, most likely. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the UAV Digest. We really appreciate it. This has been episode 419. You can find us at the UAVdigest.com. There's show notes there for for this and uh, in every episode. Of course, you can find both Max and I on the um, LinkedIn. You can find us on our Slack listener team. Uh, and you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the UAVdigest.com. And of course, all of the other social media platforms you hang out on. Uh, Max, you're on Mastodon now. I am. Um, just uh, starting on that, you can find me on Macedon at maxflight at squawk.mytransponder.com. Um, if you're uh, interested in joining that, uh, please do connect with me. If, you're, if you don't know what Macedon is all about and want a little bit of uh, my personal opinion, just write to us and I'd be happy to share that with you. I wouldn't call it a direct Twitter replacement. But the way I think about it is it's kind of nice to take all of the mess that is Twitter, in, including, <laughs> including my followers. And I have something, I think, in excess of 50,000 followers on Twitter. It's kind of nice just to wipe that aside and start fresh. And that's what Macedon is allowing me to do. And I'm, I'm kind of enjoying that, even though I've got one ten-thousandth 
no, one thousandth as many followers at this point as I do on Twitter. But it's nice to start again, fresh. There you go. So with that, I'm going to say this is David in Delaware. And Max in Maryland. Thank you for listening. <laughs>